The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, Zot, 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 Everyday Anteaters. Hello, Anteater Nation. Welcome to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and Today, I think we are all in for a surprise because the reason my guest is here today is all because of an amazing photograph of Aldrich Park. It's a stunning photo, and I mean stunning, taken from the steps of Roland Hall looking toward the arts complex. The sun was peeking through these iridescent gray rain clouds, and all the trees and bushes were gently backlit with these sparkling sun rays. It, it was really an amazing, you know, stop me in my tracks photograph. And the photo was attributed to criminology grad student Gabe Rosales. So I reached out to Gabe to talk to him about the photo. And since then, I have learned there is so much more to Gabe Rosales than just this cool photo. So mm-hmm. let's just get into it. Welcome to UCI Conversations, Gabe. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, sir. So, Gabe, tell us all about how the the photo took place. Yeah, I was on campus for a walkthrough through just an event space because I'm, you know, part of the criminology department. And we were planning on an exhibit for this project we've been working on for about a year and a half. So we were just kind of walking through these different spaces in the humanities department and sociology to figure out, you know, what we could possibly do with the space. And campus was looking stunning and uh i was you know i mean i have like just i love taking pictures of beautiful places and mm-hmm. it looked great so i started snapping pictures of just you know the sun coming through certain places and finding good angles and stuff like that i'm not a photographer by any means but i just love taking pictures when i see beautiful places yeah. so yeah when you saw this photograph did it grab you like it grabbed me i mean i was just like wow look at this photograph definitely i mean uh just that whole i mean I, I, the whole aldridge park is just super beautiful and so yeah it, it was yeah it was one of those cloudy days it just finished raining and i think it was about to start raining again so you know how like the sun yeah. kind of peeks through the clouds in, in this certain way where these rays are just shooting down perfectly and it really made all the colors pop and stuff like that too yeah. and then also by the library too i took a couple other pictures of just you know the sun's coming through the tree and it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Have you received many comments about that particular photo over Aldrich Park? No, not necessarily. You know, UCI Instagram account reposted it just in one of their stories, which is kind of cool. I wasn't expecting it, but, you know, I'd sent the pictures to 
whoever controls the Instagram, uh-huh. has, uh, you know, they, they put up pictures of, of campus fairly often. And so, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe I could use, you know, these pictures because they came out beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting because I'm not sure if I really noticed the Instagram pictures, but somehow I saw this shot. It was meant to be. And and by the way, ladies and gentlemen out there in Radioland, if you haven't seen the photo, you can go to my podcast website at www.bossenmeyer.com, B-O-S-S-E-N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, E-Y-E-R.com, com. The photograph will be right there just so you can enjoy it too. Well, now let's explore the rest, Gabe, or at least first of all, where did you grow up and what did you like to do when you were a kid? <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in San Juan Capistrano, which is only about 20 to 30 minutes south of Irvine. That's where, you know, my first formative years, probably one through 12 years old, you know, and then my parents split. My mom actually went to college. She's a UCI alumna. So she went like right after my parents got divorced pretty much. And then she ended up getting a master's degree at UCSC. So I kind of bounced around, you know, I was in, in or San Juan Capistrano, Dana Point area. And then when my mom went to school at UCSC, I moved up to Northern California with her uh, just for a couple of years until I moved back down with my dad for like high school and stuff. So I've grown up in this area my whole life for the most part and a little bit of Northern California. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. What, what year did you graduate from high school? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> 1997. Okay, 97. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and, 43. So, what'd you do? I didn't think you were that old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do when you got out of high school? Well, I, I played music like my whole life. I started when I was about 14 years old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just a hobby at that point, playing in junior high bands. This is when I was up in Santa Cruz. And then um, all through high school, I mean, that was pretty much what I took, you know, the most seriously in terms of like what I spent my time doing. Because I was in multiple bands, rehearsing every single night of the week, one band Monday and Tuesday, another band, you know, Wednesday, another band Thursday and Friday, and another band Saturday and Sunday. So it was like nonstop rehearsal. That's pretty much all I, I spent most of my evenings at a rehearsal studio when I was going you know, through high wow. school. So yeah, that was like the plan. Um, and then I was also an artist. I was doing art in high school. I was getting advanced, you know, I was an advanced placement art class where I was getting college credit for the arts I was doing in high school. But I found a producer kind of took my band under his wing when I was about 17 years old. And the band didn't, you know, work out necessarily, but music became the the primary focus of what I was going to do after, you know, high school. And so I ended up going on tour with the metal band, like pretty much a year after I graduated. Like I started recording when I was 19 professionally. And then went on tour with a metal band turned 21 on the road and then just kind of pursued that path of music there wow wow when you say on tour was like western united states oh no just that it was it was a national tour yeah so Uh we hit pretty much we went everywhere we went western united states you know went down through texas went up through like louisiana i think i don't think we played georgia or florida but we went up through new york uh you know wisconsin wyoming uh, all the way up to rhode island connecticut and we came back down around through Nebraska. And uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a huge learning experience. Oh my gosh. How were you guys traveling? Well, it was a national act and we were signed. We had a good, uh, you know, label and stuff. It was uh, playing with this 80s rock star guy, George Lynch. I don't know. He played in this band called Dawkin in the 80s. Shredder guitar player, virtuoso. We had a, a Prevo tour bus. And so, oh. you know, so it was just, yeah, it was, it was a debacle, man. I can't. And I learned a lot of learning lessons, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. You know, it was like, yeah. Do you, you know, you, you've mentioned a couple of times lessons. Can you name one or two, like just lessons? And maybe, 
maybe they were at the time it, it seemed like a good idea, but now the lesson is no, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> well, being on tours that young, you know, I took it to yeah. 21 on the road, so I had to yeah. wait outside the club until I we played, and then I'd play and then come back to the bus. And then I finally turned 21 while we were touring, and so I was able to stay in the club the whole time. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I mean, I've actually, to be honest, like I've had this substance abuse problem, you know, and alcoholism and stuff like that. It runs my family. I grew up in an alcoholic household. And so that became a real big issue. One of the things was, is, you know, I mean, when I was, you know, that age and being that kind of reckless, you could, you know, in terms of the venue, we could do whatever we wanted to and just kind of create havoc and mayhem and just be a mess and, and just, you know, um, just be an idiot. You know, I mean, it's almost like, I guess, being a, in college, but you weren't in college, I guess, because I never had that college experience. It was more, I was on tour, but I was the, you know, the headlining act. So once you do this and you, you know, at one venue, you can just roll into a bus and then you just show, wake up the next morning, morning being one or two in the afternoon in the next city, in the next state, you can do it all over again. You never have to be responsible for anything. So when I came back, it was a rude awakening because, you know, when you see people the next day, you can't just do whatever you want. So that was my big learning experience mm. in terms of like just being on tour and like taking responsibility and accountability for your actions and just, you know, being coherent and being, a, being a, like a respectable human being. And I, you know, I mean, at that age, I kind of just was trying to live out some rock star dream mm. uh, that I thought I was supposed to be, you know. Right, 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 right. Can you tell us a little bit about the bass? Is that uh, I play guitar? I'm just an average guitar player. Can you tell me, <laughs> tell me about. I don't really know much about the bass. Okay, is that is it just as difficult as any other instrument, or what? There's so many jokes about bass players, and I, I mean, I'm here for all of them. I love them. you know. And there's lots of guitar players too. They're they're fantastic. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean. I would say that because uh, I teach guitar as well, like I've taught music for 20 plus years mm. and I've taught bass and guitar. And one of the things that I tell my students is that like bass is easier to pick up because, you know, the strings are so big. You only have to work, you know, uh, pay attention to one note at a time as opposed to chords and multiple mm. strings and all the strumming mm. and all that stuff like that. But there's just so much to it, you know, mm. and, and it's it's the uh, marriage of of the harmonic of the melodic instruments with the rhythm, right? With the drums. So like, mm-hmm. not only do you have to rhythmically be in time with the drummer and know what you're doing, you know, as a uh, rhythm player, almost as a drummer, because you have to be aware of everything the drummer's doing, but you have to link what the drummer's doing with the melodic element of the band, whether it's piano or guitar or any kind of chordal instrument. And so you have to know everything about the chords, the guitar player's playing or the piano player's playing. And so you have this kind of space to roll around in where you're, you know, working with the, the melody of the guitar player or chordal instrument and then you're rhythmically locking it in with the drummer. So you kind of have like these two jobs, but it's like, I mean, you know, it's like, I didn't learn this stuff and really start digging into it until I've been playing for at least, you know, five to uh, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I started yeah. when I was 14, so it's been almost coming up on 30 years, but I've been playing, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I can't even believe that it's been that long, but um, yeah. And, you know, and then I went through stages, you know, I grew up playing metal, um, but then, you know, as you get more proficient on an instrument, you start appreciating other things and other styles of music. So I got into jazz, I got into funk, I got into jazz fusion, blues, of course, you know, but I still love metal, you know, and I love hip hop because hip hop, a lot of hip hop is um, based in, in sampled from, you know, old jazz and funk albums and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I'm still playing too. Like even in grad school, I have gigs every weekend. So hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you playing anywhere locally these days? Yeah. I play in Laguna beach, which is, you know, 10, 15 minutes away from campus or my yeah. campus. And, uh, 
And then I play with like a corporate cover band. So we do corporate events and that's all over Southern California. And even, in fact, I'm going to Mexico next month to go play. But, you know, we've played on the Hawaiian Islands and stuff like that. And all over Southern California, all the way up to Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, Palm Springs, San Diego, LA. Like, I mean, we're all over the place. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's cool. Just depending on what I can juggle with the grad school program, you know. <laughs> right. Which we'll get to. But I, I don't want to leave the music right away. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's all good. I love music, so. KUCI listeners, to contribute to Gabe Rosali's story and interview today, I've added four of his recordings sprinkled throughout this broadcast. Enjoy. back to the interview with UCI criminology grad student, musician Gabe Rosales, talking about his love of music. Do you have a favorite all-time bass player? Or? It's, yeah, it's so tough because every, yeah. you know, every musician is like for the style of music that's affected yeah. my life and yeah. been very impressionable and monumental to me on my journey. There's like a different one for every genre of music, you know, but I mean, I would say, you know, the usual overall, you know, Jocko Pastorius, of course, he's like the Jimi Hendrix bass, right? Victor Wooten. Um, and then, you know, of course, Flea, you know, from Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was a big influence when I was growing up. And Robert Trujillo with Suicidal Tendencies. And uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot of, it's a big 
variety of, of yeah, yeah. musicians. I actually can say that I, I saw Jaco get booed off the stage at the Hollywood Bowl. Did wow. <laughs> amazing have you heard about this or well i i know i mean i've read his biography and i know about him and i know of situations that are similar to that but i didn't yeah this story specifically i think i forgot about yeah you know he must have just been out there and he just kind of went into this breathing heaving it was more vocal sounds i recall than really a lot of bass (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah Uh, that's hilarious anyway that's great man well that's i mean the seriously i mean for whatever it was you know but that's still like historic you know yeah yeah you know i i uh, yeah i I won't drop that i actually saw the beatles back in the day (laughs) oh nice that's awesome uh, yeah it was it's pretty cool it's pretty cool so uh anyway let's see Oh, have you toured the world? Yeah, I mean, um, I've had like, a, you know, in the music world, it's just like any other industry, you know, it's like there's there's exploited labor and stuff like that. I was, you know, young, I just turned 22 and, you know, I was proficient on my instrument and, you know, I look young, I look good. So they, you know, for in terms of pop stars and what, you know, Hollywood wants behind these pop acts is they want younger looking players, you know, that can they can exploit to some degree. And so they, I, you know, I went on tour with Jennifer Lopez, Christina Milian. I worked with Sheena Easton. Um, and see Nicole Scherzinger from the Pussycat Dolls. Uh, I got to work with. And so I toured, you know, Japan, uh, Malaysia, and then Europe, and a couple other places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's amazing. It's funny. It, it seems like my interviews are coming full circle because I recently interviewed Nobel Prize winner David McMillan and his brother, Sheena Easton, they grew up in the same town. Oh, it's crazy. And his brother dated uh, Sheena's sister. Wow. No, I, no, I think it was his brother dated Sheena in the, when they were in high such school. such a small world. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must yeah. be tripping out hearing me big up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so uh, anyway, well, so you're doing that whole thing. And then when does school start to, re, you know, is there, I guess you had some incarceration time too is that between going back to school or yeah yeah it was do you want to talk about that or yeah yeah no of course after this uh, metal band tour i told you like i you know had these you know uh, issues with alcohol and then uh, i wasn't really doing hard drugs at that point but oh, you know girl, just from the touring and stuff did you make a ton of money off that or you know were you doing fine or were like oh, no we kind of had a lot of money no no i was i was doing okay and the thing was yeah like I was as a, you know, I played on the album. So I was, you know, of, I was on the act and I wasn't necessarily getting any points, you know, meaning like residual income from yeah. the, from the album sales. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of the deal that I had set up mm-hmm. and I was getting paid weekly, you know, so I was just kind of like a hired gun, even though yeah. and I'm like being so young, that was, that was enough for me because that's mm-hmm. something, you know, something that like, just to get that experience was like enough for me. And I didn't. Right. Yeah. 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 I, no big, huge overhead. I didn't own a house or anything. You know what I mean? Um, right. Right. Didn't even have like a girlfriend, so I didn't necessarily have to. You know, what I mean, there was like a bunch of things that I didn't have to worry about in terms of like uh, stability, yeah. stability. Right, right. I, mean, right. I could just be whatever I wanted to be. But you know, as the gigs got progressively got better, and I started touring more, and then like uh, I kind of just got introduced to harder drugs, and then uh, and so I started, you know, just doing you know, cocaine and, and meth and smoking heroin. And, I mean, it's it kind of bizarre. Is this, and I think, um, but I had a lot of issues in general in, in, cause you know, a lot of times addiction and, and these responses are, are to trauma. And so there was things that I hadn't dealt with and I was just shielding it by taking drugs, you know, and trying to avoid thinking about them. 
And uh, I could be, you know, I figured I'd be my best. I thought I was my best self when I was, you know, on something. And so it got worse and progressively worse. My health deteriorated. So when I was 25 years old with the, you know, the doctors were telling me I had the liver of like a seven-year-old man when I was 25. Mm. And, um, you know, I was way overweight. My blood pressure was through the roof, uh, pre-hypertension. So, you know, my yeah, blood pressure was like 185 over 120 or 110 or something like that. It was ridiculous. And then this was like early 20s. So uh, you know, I wasn't going to make it, you know, so, uh, and so, and it wasn't enough for me though. Like it was only until, you know, like I just made some really horrible drunken decisions and hurt people that didn't, you know, physically that I didn't want to hurt and that I cared about. And so then I was faced with these, uh, you know, these, these, um, these criminal charges where I was looking at you no know, substantial prison time, luckily, cause that was really like one of my only offenses. I'd only been in jail previously because of uh, a DUI. I was able to get these charges dropped to misdemeanors. So I only had to do county time, which was really lucky because a lot of the guys that I've talked to that I actually work with now in prison, you know, they had similar charges as I did and they had to do years. And that's what I was looking at. But um, for me, it was, you know, it was enough for me. And I had that like kind of intrinsic motivation where, you know, I was lucky that I had family that cared about me. I had support systems. So I just served my time. And, um, you know, when I was there, there was, you know, in county jail, there was, uh, you know, gang riots and stuff like that, too. So I was like in the middle of that. So I had to navigate those politics, which is really kind of like what led me on my path to higher education eventually. So I got sober in 2007. So yeah, just for a second, Gabe, while I update our listeners, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is UCI criminology grad student and photographer, Gabe Rosales. We're talking all about his life. And actually, before he comes back to academia, he went through a time of touring the world with rock and roll, grunge and metal bands and got involved with things that he grew from. How long were you in jail? A couple months. I mean, I was, I was supposed to do I was supposed to do like, you know, 90 days and you do two thirds of your time. So I said months. Was it scary? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, uh, I kind of knew what to expect before going in as I spoke to a bunch of different people. And, um, and you know, when, when, when you're faced with uh, that whole, you know, dimension of, of being involved with a faction that's, you know, that's running the, the facility, and then they call on you to, to basically do, a, you know, a mission, what they call it, you know, or or they call it like a green light, you know, like if there's going to be a riot or something like that, then you're supposed to be involved in the riot because, you're part of the team basically. And if you don't get involved, then you're, it's your, your head too. You have a target on your head. So you have to be involved by default. And so like that part was scary. KUCI listeners. We now cut away to another Gabe Rosales rap music recording that I believed was inspired by his time in jail. All I got is time and it's all on my side This pride that I'd hide like a thorn in my side The tide turned again, tried and sorted through sin Imprisoned by what's been, it kept me from rising I can't help but acknowledge the self I responded to When I was bonded to pleasing this wanting To leave this world waning, behaving like maybe I could live like this daily and don't steal my safety Was thrown out with cases Painless the shattering of my shell of understanding False friends needed branding I'll stand by my true frame, may have handled so badly So false with the profits, the dreams I once saw with No source, no direction 
question, no effect, no affection, only second guessing. My life's profound blessing. I was locked down for months. You were drunk, violent stunts that proved myself ready to move on through the all. The move to resolve my consistent recall of what's made me fall. I scaled Jake's ladder with my signature candor and I've broken myself off the last time in the drop because I popped this all off. My freedom's been taken and it's not where I fell. It's all where I slipped to sit and focus on still at some point in life. The heart of lead the body. The feeling of peace falls upon my soul solidly. I know the cops are out there waiting. Self destruction's in my head. I think growing up and kind of a crazy, like my dad was an alcoholic, you know, so it's like a, I was kind of used to just uh, erratic behavior in general mm-hmm. and people being out of control. So that wasn't it. And then, you know, you do, you get used to, I mean, you get, you know, a uh, condition to violence, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. hear people getting beat up every single day and, or, you know, like seriously injured. A lot of times, men they do it out of the vision of the, um, you know, the deputies. So like that becomes a part of daily life. You always hear people getting their, you know, the crap beat out of them. So in that aspect, I guess the first time, like you hear something like that, then it might be kind of scary or unnerving, but get, I mean, you hear it multiple times a day and it's every day and you're there for a long time and it just becomes part of daily life, you know? Yeah. So once you come out, are you, is that when you started thinking about academia or was that further on down the line? It was down the line a little bit. I mean, um, you know, my mom was always encouraging me to, cause obviously cause she had her degrees and she was mm-hmm. encouraging me to get back to school. And I mean, you know, once I got sober that it wasn't, it wasn't time, you know, I was spending my time doing other things. I was reading all the time anyways. So, you know, my, my partner and my mom and actually like my former drug dealer, they were like, why don't you do something with your life? Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, I start, you know, like if you're reading around, if you're sitting around reading all the time anyways, you might as well be getting a degree, right? So mm-hmm. I figured, uh, you know, then my partner at the time, she was going back to school for, for nursing. And so she had started her education about a month before I did or a semester before I did. And so I figured I'd just go back to school and take some classes and see what sparked my interest. And kind of, I kind of had an idea what I wanted to be involved with. Because I learned so much, you know, from just this, this short jail stint and from being sober my, and, and knowing what I wanted to help people with and still being loving music and loving people and like working with people and stuff like that and creating. 
So um, I figured I could try to find a way to marry all those things together. So I, yeah, I started back at school in 2010 and I just very, very slowly went through all my undergrad um, general requirements at a community college here. And so I finally transferred to UCI in 2015. So I did my undergrad at UCI as well. Gotcha. And criminology was your major. I don't know a whole lot about criminology. Just from having an undergrad degree, was there anything that was particularly meaningful? I mean, really, the UCI criminology department is amazing. Like, I mean, I kind of have a problem with just the term criminology in the first place because I feel like it's it's problematic in some ways because we're kind of assuming some people are just criminals. Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's just all kinds of issues that I take with certain terminology in general. Also, just from serving time, it's like, you know, being called inmate, being called in treated like a subhuman, you know, and then knowing that I'm going to get out at some point and like knowing that what these guys and the way people are treated while they're incarcerated like it's the way they're treated is not helping the situation and, and rehabilitating them to get out into society and be productive people. Right. So uh, there are certain things that I just didn't take well in terms of like the canon of criminology, in terms of the old ways of thought, you know, like there's the classical thinkers, Beccaria and all, you know, but definitely there's, you know, there's a component in, in our department at UCI criminology and law and society and law and society was also really interesting. I, I enjoy learning about criminological theories, but also understanding how law plays out in society was really, you know, monumental and important. And I don't know if students know, but like some of the law classes at UCI and the CLS department, they're very similar to law school classes, you know, especially the criminal law class that was approached the same way as the law school class was. So it was really interesting to me to look through case law and to see decisions and reading about the cases, you know, because some of them are fairly recent, you know, within the past 20 to 30 years. So you can read about something that just happened, even in Orange County, which is, you know, like, to me, it's, I love stories and I love hearing about people and I love hearing about how these things are decided. So all those components were super interesting to me. And I actually ended up getting into law school when I graduated. I was trying to take the UCI concurrent degree program to get a JD and a PhD at the same time. I was planning on going big, right? So I applied to multiple laws because you have to apply to everything, right? You got to apply to the PhD program and you got to apply to law school. So I applied to multiple law schools. One was going to give me like a free ride. So I ended up going to there. That was like in 2018. And around that same time is when I started teaching in prison. I started teaching at Donovan State Prison because I got connected with this amazing nonprofit called Jail Guitar Doors, where they uh, teach like rehabilitative songwriting in state prison carceral facilities. And um, it was like right up my alley. Like one of my friends, you know, tagged me in a post on Instagram. So look what these people are doing. So I immediately sent you know, uh, email to the, the corporate office and said, I just got a criminology degree. I spent some time in county jail. I'm sober. How can, can I help in any way? And they're like, we need you to start like tomorrow. So, <laughs> and so I started teaching at Donovan. And so that's around the same time as I started law school. And so after, you know, probably about a year, I realized law school wasn't what I wanted to practice because I didn't want to practice law. I just was interested in law. So I withdrew from law school applied to the PhD program, uh, CLS program, which I didn't get into the first time. I remember because I said in 2017, I had to apply to both for the concurrent degree program. I didn't get into the CLS program. In 2019, when I applied again, I got in. So, And that program is at UCI? Yes, that's the yeah, CLS, uh, Criminology Law and Society doctoral program. And you're currently working on that? Yeah, I'm in my, like the middle of my second year. Okay. And when do you anticipate graduating? I'm hoping, huh? Yeah, that's kind of like the, the age-old question. Um, I'm hoping in in five years, you know, maybe six. It depends yeah. on what I, you know, depends on how much more I need to do and where I can 
what I have to do to position myself well to get, you know, whatever job that I need. But to be honest, like it's, I've still been playing music and I'm, that's what I've been doing as a living for, you know, for 20 years. So it's, it's kind of, I'm in a weird position where it's like, I'm comfortable where I don't, I'm not stressed about finding a job because I have music always, which is kind of funny. I kind of did everything backwards. Like, you know how usually the music's kind of the thing you, that is a hobby that you do. Right. Right. Uh, the PhD program's kind of like a hobby right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say that in front of my advisors. Of course, it's not a hobby, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of, uh, I mean, it's taken up all my time, but um, in terms of like my security, I always know I can play gigs, you know what I mean? And like, um, which is nice, which a lot of people don't have. So I'm not right. as stressed about it as some people are. Right. Tell us about teaching at the prison. What's involved with that? Jail guitar doors. Uh, it's it's amazing, really. It's like I mean, I it changed my life. That's the reason why I you know withdrew from from law school because I just I found a, a passion in, in understanding these programs, understanding what helps people, um, what helped me, you know, because, uh, being sober and and like you know not necessarily I, I wasn't you know a a what they call like a you know lifetime criminal or anything and. But I mean, if you sit there and you talk to people that are incarcerated, like you can see how people never had a chance, like from the get go, from the beginning, you know, whether they were foster youth, whether they were, you know, in their formative years, they didn't have any parents or their parents were very abusive in some way, or they didn't have one parent when the other parent was in, there's just so many things. And mm-hmm. I feel so lucky to have had the support system that I had. So jail guitar doors, as we go in, we have a, uh, you know, cohort of students of basically about a little bit over 20 students sometimes the program lasts for 10 weeks and it's what they call a rack class rehabilitative achievement credit class where when you know people that are incarcerated take this class they get time off their sentence for taking it every two hours or whatever whatever the hours they put in they end up getting time off their sentence so they do get credit to take this mm-hmm. and so we got about 20 students 10 weeks to work with them every single week and we give half of the class guitars so everybody gets a guitar Mm-hmm. Um, that they can take back to their cells and their housing units and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we basically teach them just the, the four or five chords, whatever they can, because really, you know, like you don't need to know tons of chords to be able to play music. So we teach them basic chords and then we give them all journals as well. And every single week we give them a topic to write on. And it's kind of a progressive curriculum where we start off in childhood. So like childhood trauma and we go through like family dynamics we go through, um, you know, amends and restoration, responsibility, accountability, all that stuff. And so they all write in their journal on one of these topics, right? And then when we come together every week, we take two lines out of everybody's journal writings. We find their, their favorite lines or whatever they feel most connected to. And we go around, everybody reads what they wrote. And then we take two of their lines and we construct a song out of it. And so at the end of every class, it's a big collaborative effort of writing these songs that have to do with whatever topic that we're you know, some rehabilitative topic, talking about their, you know, family situation, being accountable for the actions, responsibility, anger and resentment too, you know, like who they resentful towards. And then, you know, when people get together and they sing, you know, and they, they all work together, I can't tell you that's where the magic happens. Here's some more music magic from Gabe Rosales. Kid once who had a dream Dante's inferno within months
wants to be seen It's been a long time to lose all that was left I'm trying to keep my mind right like Jarman and Seth With the old memories of Vincent Price narrating my life Maybe I was too dramatic through all this made strife My oldest made sin to begin at the end Before I started to live with a punch of the ribs again and again Who would have thought the end product would be the best to him? Who could have thought this ego could fuel positive When the anger was dulled and the art was always made They were written off from his actions to relay the love he portrayed To look beneath the beauty of this dark bleak existence The angels were made free against a positive resistance
change people break down crying because they realize how much in common that they have with each other there's so many different things and the point is is that they process their trauma creatively and then that they also you know it translates to the art when they go out in the art like we're hoping that they'll be less liable to hurt each other especially you know in situations in prison it's a very highly racialized place you know mm. uh, so like i am aware of those dynamics so i lived it you know and so, you know, it's being cognizant of that and seeing the, the personalities change and, and just uh, people accepting parts of themselves that they didn't know existed, you know. Yeah, yeah, very good. Excuse me one more time, Gabe. Ladies and gentlemen, if you joined us late, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. And my guest today is UCI criminology grad student Gabe Rosales. Gay's been talking a lot about his music background and also how he's worked in prisons with the inmates with a guitar music class that sounds like it's been very effective and powerful in everybody's lives. What about this organization, Gabe, that I think you started the chapter in UCI called Underground Scholars? Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? So when I was doing my undergrad at, uh, at UCI, 2015 through 2017, I was a transfer student, right? I was trying to just get involved with as many different organizations as possible. I was like a Blum Center for, you know, poverty alleviation ambassador. And, and then because drugs and alcohol and all, you know, substances were a big part of my life. But, you know, you know I, I saw the, the, the issue with that is, you know, decriminal, I mean, criminalization of, of so many substances and, uh, you know, creating these markets that, and so that, that's what I was viewing as a problem. So I co-founded Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And through Students for Sensible Drug Policy, I came in touch with somebody at UC Berkeley, this guy named Danny Murillo, who um, had done, you know, Pelican Bay, solitary confinement time. And he had started this organization at Berkeley called Underground Scholars. And this was like, I think, 2013, 2014-ish. And so, the, you know, the organization was already established by the time I got to UCI at 2015, 2016. So I started conversation with Danny. I graduated in 2017, but I was still attending, going to meetings and, and, and uh, organizational meetings at UCI once I graduated. It's almost like once you graduate, you have more time to do things. You know, obviously you're so, you know, engulfed with, with uh, classes and meeting mm-hmm. deadlines and stuff like that. I, I felt like, I, you know, just for me personally, at least, I wasn't able to take advantage completely of all the organizations and amazing things that are happening on campus. I mean, there's a thing called I Can Too, Irvine Center for Addiction Neuroscience. Like that blew my mind. I got involved like just uh, with one of the, you know, administrators over there. So when I wasn't at UCI, after I graduated, you know, we started building this organization with other grad students in the criminology department called Underground Scholars, the chapter at UCI that was basically, you know, coming down from UC Berkeley. And so Danny helped create that. And then Hector Cervantes, you know, he was actually a student at the time. So he was like the first real underground scholar that was at UCI. And so him and I pretty much founded the, the organization along with uh, Marina Bell and uh, Nadia. And so we were creating, you know, just meeting all the time. And 
slowly creating this organizational structure where we were going to have these meetings and just have a space for people that were formerly incarcerated to come in and create, you know, like, um, it's just a support group really you know, for everything academic, because when people come out of these carceral spaces, it's like one institution to another. And there's so many other issues, obviously like imposter syndrome, where you just don't feel like you belong. You feel like you're stupid, you know, it, me being and having so many resources and having so much support, you know, just coming out of County jail and like, just seeing how the way the deputies treated us there, you know, like you're just the worst human being ever that kind of follows you around for a while. You know, you're abused. I mean, we were pepper sprayed or for no reason at all. You know, people would just do stuff to mess with you. Like you were an animal. So you got to imagine when people come out of these spaces and they've lived it for years and years and years and years, and then they need a support system because nobody, it's like, you can't relate to anybody because, you know, the traditional student, you don't, you know, like might not have had these kinds of life experiences, you know? So we wanted to create a space for people that had these similar experiences whatever it is, you know, and of course, by default, a lot of people that are in recovery end up, you know, coming to these, these meetings and stuff like that. So Underground Scholars was established in 2018. Now, uh, this is fantastic. Hector Cervantes is our director. He's a paid position to run the organization from the law school, UCI Law School. And so now we have like a really established, you know, like a community and organization and people, faculty that are, that are helping us create this, uh, um, like real, huge community of formerly incarcerated and, you know, system impacted people to uh, support these students that are coming out, you know? So it's really exciting, actually. Like this year's hitting hard. We're, we're got the ball rolling. So I'm really excited about it. Wow. Great. Great. <sighs> so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what's next on your plate, you know, in terms of your grad program, what's next? <clears throat> Things have been going really well. I'm just, you know, the whole idea of, grad school and trying to figure out what your research interests are and like how you can really hone in on what you want to focus on is like a whole, you know, uh, process that's just takes forever. You have to just do it and kind of figure out what makes sense. But I mean, I got through my general, ed. that's the way this program works. So now I'm, I'm kind of working on my, my research. I have a two year paper that's coming up. And one of the projects that I worked on uh, that began because I started grad school in the middle of the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic really because I haven't been back to teach in prison since March of 2020. That's when all the prisons shut down. Mm. And so what we did in the CLS department was, you know, uh, there's a couple of different initiatives we started that were involved, uh, you know, trying to help people that are incarcerated. And because, you know, people by default in carceral facilities have, you know, way worse health conditions than the general population does for a variety of reasons, you know, the food, you know, their diet consisting of car-based diet, uh, the central air there. So they're, you know, and just the way people, you know, uh, the cleanliness, you know, people aren't just, they don't have access to, to cleaning supplies just regularly. So there's a lot of things that, that add to this, you know, how dangerous it is for a virus to get into a prison setting, especially in California too, where people are stacked on top of each other and there's no room for social distancing, right? So we knew that it was going to be bad. We knew that the virus was going to just go through CDCR, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And so we started figuring out ways to, you know, fundraise to get PPE, you know, personal protective equipment to, you know, at least the local prisons close to us. So we raised about $10,000. So we got masks, hand sanitizer, N95s, uh, face shields and stuff like that to three different prisons that are pretty local to UCI. And then um, we did this by creating a video and, and formerly incarcerated students and currently incarcerated people had told their stories about what, you know, they were dealing with with COVID. And this became a thing where like, there's so many people that want to talk about their experience being in prison during COVID. 
So we decided to create an archive. So now it's been a year and a half and UCI prison pandemic oral archive has been in effect since then, since probably August, September of uh, 2020. And we've co collected thousands of stories from people in every carceral facility in California. It's been the most amazing feat to be, I mean, first, just being a part of this is like amazing. But the fact that we were able to do it is, is crazy because we had, you know, so many students supporting us. We've had hundreds and hundreds of students support us. Um, we've had so many organizations help us. So we have this oral archive that's up to, I could, you know, send you a link to it. And so that's been a big, huge project that I've been working on for since I started grad school at UCI. And uh, I'm doing my two-year paper on that, on mm. the UCI prison pandemic. And that's also at this exhibit, like when we were talking about the picture, mm. if it's going to be about, it's going to be prison pandemic. And, mm. uh, you know, and the team is amazing. We have two criminology professors, one sociology professor, and then myself, and then Joanne DeCaro, and then another grad student in the CLS department. And another, actually another, it's, there's just so many people that came in and, in and out. And, but the core group that started was, uh, yeah, three professors and then myself and Joanne DeCaro. And then I'm also going to be, you know, like that's taken up tons of time and then taken up, uh, um, I'm going to be presenting at two conferences this year, which is a new thing for me because it's funny. I, I was just talking about this with a friend of mine about music, you know, how like academia and music are just, there's so many parallels, you know, because, and it's just a weird for me to, to have people ask me to come speak at a conference. Cause it's like playing, you know, shows to an empty uh, club for, you know, for years and then all of a sudden people are buying tickets to come see you. And you're like, what is happening? This is strange. <laughs> people want to hear me? Like, this is weird. Um, so I'm excited about that. Like, my abstracts got accepted at the Western Society of Criminology. So I'm going to Oahu next month. And then Lisbon, Portugal for Law and Society um, in July. Wow. Yeah. That's and then amazing. I'm also releasing a second album. So I'm trying to finish this album out at the same time. <laughs> wow. Wow. What will your paper, you know, what will the main topic of the papers like in Lisbon and Oahu? Oh, yeah. Prison integration. CDCR just started this new policy around 2018 where they started integrating populations that have historically been separated for at least, you know, decades. Um, and so because you have like a general population, then you have like what they used to be called protective custody, um, which is sensitive needs yards. Now they started creating entire yards for people that needed to, needed higher security, um, security for them because they were a target from the rest of the population. And then uh, what they call EOP, enhanced outpatient. So you have, and those are people that have like psychiatric disorders or, you know, or suicidal or whatever. So they're combining all these, these people together on yards, which is the first time they've done that. They started doing that in 2018. And I've been in prison teaching since this happened. And so I've been watching it roll out. And so that's one of the things that's been really interesting to me. It's scary. Because it's for the most part, I mean, I don't know, I'm not going to talk about it right now because I'm still kind of collecting data and understanding the dynamics of it. It's not working in a lot of places. There's only one place that I've seen it work. That's what I'm going to be talking about at Oahu, basically prison integration in California. And then uh, I actually wrote a paper about legal, empirical legal pluralism in carceral facilities uh, for the Law and Society paper, which is basically legal pluralism. The easiest way I can describe it is like, you know, federal law and state law, you know, like uh, federal laws, um, you know, marijuana is illegal federally rec for recreational use. States have approved it for recreational use. So that's legal pluralism right there. You have two different sets of laws and jurisdictions that are, you know, governing over the same kind of issue, but they approach it differently. Right. And they all exist together. And so I'm going to be talking about actually like carceral 
facilities and, and prison life and the rules that are made within the prison system by the people that are incarcerated that differ from, you know, the broader state rules and federal regulations and stuff. Mm, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> In terms of your album, is it going to be metal? No, I mean, my first album is like, I, you know, the, the whole idea of when I put my first one out was that every song would be a different genre of music because I like playing everything, you know, so, yeah. and I didn't want to be pigeonholed into anything because it's like, uh, you know, you play a show and then only this demographic of people show up. And I love so many different styles of music. So my shows, you know, like uh, Venon, which I like made my band actually a, a nonprofit entity so that when we do shows, we can get, you know, raise money and we can, uh, people can send us stuff and it'll be tax write off as well. I start off the show with an acoustic set where I'm singing and playing acoustic guitar with a band. Then I'll put that down grab bass or I'll, I'll rap first. I'll do a hip hop set after that. And then I'll grab the bass and then I'll do a couple more rap songs and we'll jump into jazz fusion. So then I'll start playing jazz fusion with the band. Wow. And then after the jazz fusion's done, then I'll put the bass down and we do a metal set where we do all the heavy stuff. So yeah. we do that. We end the night with the heavy stuff so that if people don't like metal, they can sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, the new album's going to be like a big conglomeration of all that stuff again, you know, like yeah. a Latin, Latino hip hop and then, uh, you know, jazz, uh, funk, Hip hop, R and B, and then metal too. Yeah. Do you have a name for the album yet? Not yet. I mean, I was gonna call it Lattes and Pseudo Events because it's kind of a big, it's a weird mix of stuff. But not one hundred percent sure. That's yeah. That, that's the working title right now. Yeah. And will it be available on iTunes? Or yeah, yeah. My first albums are available on iTunes, Spotify, and then this will be also available. I'm not one hundred percent sure I'm gonna release it yet. It might be just on my Bandcamp or. Uh, a SoundCloud or something like that, but it will be on iTunes for sure at some point. Okay. And that's under your name, Gabe Rosales. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to find me that or Venon, V-N-O-N. Gabe, thank you so much for you know, coming on the show and talking to us about all the stuff that you're involved with. <laughs> yeah, thanks Kevin. I know it's, it's so, so all over the place and random, you know, we've covered a lot of territory and I appreciate it. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to just talk about stuff. Thank you again to UCI criminology grad student Gabe Rosales. Wow. This interview began with a very simple, beautiful photo Gabe took of Aldrich Park and then took amazing turns into touring the world as a talented teenage bass player and then came excess, prison time, and then grateful sobriety. And then more surprises by going back to school, now working on his PhD and teaching songwriting in prison, and much, much more. What will the irrepressible Gabe Rosales be involved with next? Thank you, Gabe, for showing us the unbroken circles of your life, and kudos for helping those less fortunate and giving them another chance. Best of luck with the Jail Guitar Door organization and your upcoming presentations. Ladies and gentlemen, the musical cuts you heard here by Gabe and his band were in order of play Angel Fat, Southside Freedom, and Ashes to Clay, all available on iTunes. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and you've been listening to UCI Conversations on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And now one more wonderful tune from Gabe Rosales called The Ministry. Thank you.
endeavor. I can't be sick, but I'm not with But just the show with the times A kid who writes, but just in spite of everyone who writes rhymes Plus my ass and all the people who give life their spine Appreciating to relate to everyone who just tries Not a victim, though at times I emphasize what is mine I see my parents go sign just by the end of my life The will come back like a heartbeat to my time I will die I'll still die, my whole story's a lie They'll try and bore me with swine Every morning I shine Into the night I sit and fight Because it's surely my time For 42 and a dime I'm floating over your mind Growing solely, making moly Go within every line What's wrong, you're looking with eyes To find a way to reply When you know you can't get dignity Except you will die Keep holding on to your dream Appreciate what I mean Because we live in this scene To make this new ministry Like a fan 